Jimmy, good to have you on the show again. Ben, man, it's really good to be back. Thank you. Yeah, good to have you here. Cool. First easy question to get us started. What is the origin story of Content Snare to give us a little bit of context? Interestingly, like everyone always talks about like pivoting products and stuff. It's like a big thing in, in startup land, right? But I like ours. I kind of like our story because we pivoted before we even started. Like we had this idea to build like a website briefing tool. And I had this like whole cool like Tinder idea for the clients to be able to like hone in on what kind of designs they like to make like a, a brief, a document for web designers. But anyway, like the, the whole thing with startup, you know, the people talk about sitting down with your customer, potential customers and not, not telling them what your idea is and then finding out what their biggest problems are, right? And that's what we did, or I did at the time. You know, was, I think I spoke to 15 agencies, digital agencies. Every single one of them focused on getting content from clients or chasing information from clients was one of their biggest problems. So that was like our pivot before we even started, you know, like, oh yeah, that is a problem. We have that problem. We should try and fix that. So yeah, that's kind of how we got started. Yeah. If you want to talk about like marketing, I guess we can get into that too. But that, that was like the very initial story Threw up a landing page, you know, not long after that and started trying to collect emails. Curious to know, how did you present the MVP to those people? Did you come back by email and say, here's what I have in mind. We're going to build something that is this, this, and this. Will you pay for it? Yeah, so that would have been a couple of months later. Like that wasn't something we punched out in a day or two. So when we knew our like our audience was going to be agencies, we started creating content for agencies, right? We kind of, even though we didn't know exactly what the idea was yet, like I started a little blog and I ran an agency. So I was just sharing stuff that I knew, you know, stuff that had like keyword volume as well. Just trying to start building a little SEO up, I guess. Yeah, so... Two months later, it was literally two screenshots. We had we had designed a few. We got a UX designer in to build some stuff. And, and that was just like a blog post. It was just another blog post where it was like, here's a little sneak peek what it's going to look like. And here's a link. that, And I think we used Thrivecart, which is, you know, it was a lifetime deal kind of payment gateway thing in my shopping cart. And yeah, it was just like, here's a link. Here's a buy button. We way undercharged. I, think, I feel like it's a big mistake we made. We said it would be like 60 US bucks for a year. Yeah, it was kind of just like, well, you know, this product doesn't even exist. We can't ask for too much money. And we said there was like 25, 30 spots available and they sold out like instantly. So, you know, and in hindsight, a lot of those people never even ended up using the product even when it did launch. So they weren't our right customers, which is why I think we didn't charge enough. But either way, you know, we had a few grand, like we didn't need that money to build the product. It was more of just a validation thing. But yeah, that's all it was, two screenshots and asking for, you know, it was like 60 bucks. <laughs> None of these questions are on our list, by the way, but I was curious to know, yeah. what would you have done in hindsight to make sure that you charged correctly? Yeah, I don't know. Things have changed so much with our business, you know, like we haven't gotten into this yet, but we started in agencies, but now our, our target client is more like professionals. So mostly accountants right now is like our main target audience. So like, but I couldn't have known that until the right things happened, you know, kind of stars aligned about a year ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, we should really go after this industry. So I didn't like that's the benefit of hindsight there. I don't know, like at the time, I think it just would have been a matter of charging more. Because the problem with a $60 thing is, you know, that's in the realm of like AppSumo deals, right? And so it's like, oh, I'll just throw 60 bucks at this thing and hopefully it'll be good for me. And so it, it's like a throwaway amount of money, I think. And I think that's probably where we went wrong. Whereas, it, you know, if you had someone, you might get a bit more buy-in if you charged, you know, it could have been 200 bucks even. Like, 
you know, for an agency and for a product that doesn't exist, that people might be more likely to think about it. And then you get the right people signing up who are actually going to give you the feedback and beta mm. test and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's interesting. If you actually make it not necessarily a burden, but if you make it more important to them, perhaps you get more substantial feedback rather than, like you said, sort of throw yeah. away. And this, this this ties into pricing in general, you know, like it's pretty well accepted across SaaS that low price customers are the worst, like they expect the most and, and you know, I guess complain the most and whatever, like that's pretty well been our, our experience. They'll churn the fastest, you know, like, like I said, none of those, I think within a year, pretty much everyone who was on that initial thing had churned out. Maybe our product market fit wasn't correct and that's why they left, but also they're all like kind of one person, one man band freelancer types that ended up not really being our ideal customer. So yeah, it, it's so like, you can say these things with hindsight, but it's, it's hard. When it came to managing the features that you offered, so obviously have developed the product a lot since the beginning, how did you manage the balance and decide which features you were going to implement to increase the revenue? Yeah, so a couple of things. Like, First up, we don't use a feature voting board. I think they're a mistake. Like, I've seen other apps use those and it just becomes a dumping ground for like everyone's idea and everyone will throw stuff in there. Whereas we just generally keep tabs on what people request through intercom you know we're just using a standard help desk tool and people ask is it possible to do xyz and at first i was doing support so it was just a matter of gut feel based on all these conversations i was having you know and and you would get a feel it's like well these guys are lawyers you know and they've got more money to spend and they're asking for features like this professionals seem to want these kind of features whereas freelancers are asking for these features and so you know, what's really commercially going to be a better feature for us to build? You know, maybe freelancers love this and we've got lots of freelancers, but really are they like the, a significant portion of our revenue? So those are the kind of decisions we're making. Now it's a bit more formalized because I'm not doing support. It's the same thing. Like when they people request features or ask, can you do X, Y, Z in this product? We put it in an Airtable and link up to like, you know, we copy in what they asked for and then link it to a, a record, which is like our name of our feature. So if, we, if I go in there and it's like, you know, we, we built white labeling recently and it's like, so I could click on the white labeling feature request and see all the conversations that the team had pasted in there to see what kind of things people wanted in white labeling. And then when it comes to prioritization, we just use the rice framework, which is, I don't know who we stole that off, but it's reach impact, confidence, and effort. So each of your features, you go, how many of our customers do you think this will reach? How much of an impact do we think it'll have on their business? And you you rate these on like numbers. I can't remember the scales on all of them. You can look up the Rice feature framework though. Confidence uh, is like how confident you are of those numbers. Like if you've just taken a stab or you're pretty, pretty sure. And then effort is like how much labor is going to go into it to build that feature. And then you prioritize based on that. So that's kind of the framework we use now, plus a little bit of gut feel. We might rearrange the actual numbers a little bit. Just general curiosity, do you, as you went through the process of, of growing your product, did you did you get more and more interested in product management over time or did you feel like it was a bit of a chore to do? That's a good question. It's hard because it's become so much more of what, my role is like and and my business partner as well so he he leads up the tech team and i'm like supposed to be basically marketing and i feel like a large portion of my time is on like product and like you know discussing ux things and like new features so it is 
Like I wouldn't call it a chore because I actually love it. Like that's probably my favorite part of everything is like planning out new features and like what we're going to do. But yeah, it's a lot of work in it. <laughs> and, and you know, a lot of it's hiring too. So hiring people to help with product like UX designers and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's not a chore, but it's a lot of work. And it's definitely gotten more work as time goes on. But you, you're also limited by your dev capacity, right? So I feel like that's always the the niggling problem. It's like there's all this stuff we want to build, but we don't have the throughput to just build it all, you know? So that's prioritization is a big deal. Yeah, it makes sense. It's It's interesting that I've noticed some other startup founder friends of mine got interested in, in products, but not necessarily product management from the beginning. And then as they go through the process, they realize like, oh, crap, I'm doing tons of product management. This is not what I exactly had yeah. in mind. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult, but I, I guess me and my business partner share that burden. My, his name's Mark, by the way. I'll call him Mark from now. <laughs> Mark with undisclosed last name. <laughs> yeah, he's, it's funny. He, he's pretty happy to sort of be in the background. This is his own words. Like he doesn't want to be on the face of the company at all. So a lot of people don't even know he's there, which is interesting. Yeah, I had no idea until you mentioned it. <laughs> As you were growing the product, at what point did you decide to, to go all in? I would say only fairly recently, you know, like it we always had a web design business. I mean, we've been all like, quote unquote, all in. Like we knew we wanted this to be our main business for a long time, but until it was able to pay us, you know, a, a decent pay because we were paying ourselves scraps for a while, you know, and, like until by itself, it was able to pay us a decent pay and support our team, you know, which has only really happened in the last sort of 12 months. We started it at late 2016, you know, because we've, we've been leaning on income from our previous like dev work. Basically we have some clients that we did development work for and we had one client who was pretty large and we still have them actually just like just the one ongoing sort of uh, retainer project. But even taking them out of the equation now we can finally support the whole business, which is a really nice feeling. So that, that to, this is the first time I've felt like fully comfortable with like, you know, I guess going all in, even though, Mentally, like I knew is where I wanted to be the whole time. So you planned for it and then you got to a stage where you knew you had enough funds to pay yourselves a, yeah. a livable wage, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, like most founders, you get shiny object syndrome, right? Like I was doing, I was teaching people how to use Zapier and doing Zapier consulting because I knew people were asking me for that. And it's like, oh, this is cool. I can do a business out of this. And so that ends up detracting from the main product. So there's been a lot of fighting you know, and I guess a lot of it's interesting is that the ability to fight off those things, I think really correlates to how well a business is doing. So like we were struggling with growth. I don't think we'd got product market fit right. And that's when I, you know, spun off and did started doing Zapier consulting, which I probably wouldn't have done if we were just smashing it out of the park every month. And then we kind of worked out this new market of accountants and how much benefit they get from our product and that their lifetime value is higher. And now it's like growth actually feels kind of easy again, easy-ish, you know, and that that's made me, made it very easy to like cancel all those other things. <laughs> Looking back now, how would you have tried to speed up that product market fit? Yeah, God, it, again, it's just a hindsight thing. I think we got, we started noticing that other industries were signing up for our product, even though we were, you know, made for web designers initially. Like it, it honestly, 
pushing poo uphill is what it felt like for a long time, right? It was difficult, you know, and, and I don't think it's supposed to feel like that growing a business. It means something's wrong. And I think, you know, we probably did that for too long, like 18 months. I probably would have been trying to find a new industry or a new, because we, we had different industries signing up for our product a long time, but none of them were dominant enough to go, this is the one we should really target. And then a few things happened in quick succession that made us go, accounting is definitely the one for us. And I'm very glad we did that. So how do we would have got there faster? I don't know, like maybe doing more research. Like I thought we'd done the research. I'd spoken to accountants and, you know, I'd spoken and I'd actually written accountants off and it just happened to be, yeah, like kind of random chance, you know, and I think there's a lot of that in business, right? A lot of the best breaks you get are, through some kind of luck, you know, someone contacted us and wanted to kind of buy our business and they were from the accounting industry. And that was like one of the biggest catalysts. You're going, wow, they, this guy who runs a big company serving accountants thinks it's a good product. Like maybe we should look at that. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I like, you know, yeah, I can say research is probably, probably spending more time trying or, or like I realizing how difficult it was and that it shouldn't be that difficult. Like, making a move on that sooner is probably the, the number one thing. Speaking of research, is that is there a particular process that you have in place these days for getting feedback other than the Airtable example you gave using Intercom? So specifically on our, like what people want or like researching new industries? Researching new industries. Okay, so yeah, so that one... I mean, pretty much the same as what we did at the when we first built Content Snares, trying to actually have conversations with people who are either going to use the product or know the industry well. So that's what it was for me. Like I am fairly, I'm fairly well connected locally here. So for me, it was, you know, speaking to people that worked with accountants or worked with lawyers. Cause we had this list, you know, it was like mortgage brokers, lawyers, accountants, education was one. And it was like trying to just get in front of either talking to your current customers who are in those industries and really trying to understand, you know, how much of how well you're solving the problem for them. And if, and then kind of going, can we replicate, like, is this a problem in other indus- in other businesses in that same industry or is this company unique? So, you know, in, with accountants, it's like, well, every accountant needs to onboard clients. So, you know, that uh, addressable market obviously there is pretty big. But then also looking at like, uh, I guess how you can get how easy it is you think it'll be to get in front of them as well. Like, can you get a good plan to market, looking at competitors, all these kind of things. That's kind of all the, com- I remember having an air, another air table with columns like this, you know, like w- how common was this problem? How big was the market? What are the competitors like? You know, what are our marketing channels in those industries? Are these marketing channels that I'm comfortable with? Like I hate outbound sales. So if that was required, I was like, nope. And, you know, so for the more enterprisey level things, there's just no way we were ever going to scale that up because it's just not something I want to do. And like, yeah, another kind of an alignment score. So it was really just this air table that I knocked up with my own scores of things and to sort of look at them and go like, which way, which way should we go? That's what our research looked like. It's very hacky. And I think it is, that's, I think most processes like this are hacky in most businesses. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. It's, it's actually quite curious that you ended up with accountants in the end, because I would imagine they're like, probably a very difficult target for a digital product i would imagine i would have thought so too and man i wrote off accounting probably three or four times before we ended up in it because i, I spoke to some people that knew accountants and they're like well like personally like i was like with my account i'm like they never need to chase me for information it turns out i'm just a good client 
you know, and so they're like, I had this bias there and I was like, well, why would an account never need to chase information? And I spoke to some accountants that had like products that kind of solved this and it's like, it didn't seem like that big of a problem, but then it just took a few in a row to be like, this is a massive problem for us, for us to really like understand that. So, and now I've learned that they're actually really tech forward, especially here in Australia. Zero, I think has paved the way for like encouraging accountants to embrace tech and because accountants really understand the value of their time i think that was one of the roadblocks we had in the freelancer agency space i think a lot of people are willing to burn time to save money rather than the other way around which is a lot more prevalent and like yeah accountants are charging 300 bucks an hour they know that if like our products only got to save them like an hour a month and like well over break even so yeah i I think agencies struggle with that a little bit more just personally having spoken to so many agency owners and having been one myself and knowing how i thought at the time so yeah how has the marketing changed over time so when you're starting out i guess it was a, a bit more about hustle but how is it different now yeah so content's always been one of my favorite things seo as well because that's what i was i was kind of in those spaces beforehand so really a lot of that has just shifted from one industry to another so it's just like different keywords different types of content we're writing you know different pain points we're writing about that it's and different templates in our product as well because templates in your product are kind of content as well you know if you if you if you build a template like you know i think about like process street they've got all these like I don't know, template for like onboarding a new team member. And they just put that on a, you know, blog post essentially, and it becomes content. So, you know, those kind of things, a lot of the same stuff, but in just a different space, you know, and same as partnerships has always been really big for us. So getting to know quote unquote influencers in the, in the industry and doing webinars or like, you know, I used to have a podcast. So I would invite those like well-known people to come on my podcast and then they'd, usually invite me to go on their podcast and so that's how you get your name out right it's been a lot of the same stuff but in accounting except now i've never been an accountant so i feel like an imposter so i have like i'm not doing as many like oh here's my tips on how to run a better accounting firm like i don't have a damn clue right so that bit's changed but everything else is just kind of redirected how did you fight a channel dilution and i I notice a lot of people want to do 10 different marketing channels from the beginning how do you choose the best ones is that what you mean yeah how did you how did you navigate this did you go oh, well these are the ones that i'm good at so i'm just going to do those yeah so it was a little bit of that but also the gabriel weinberg weinberg i don't know how to say his name book called traction there's two different traction books not the gino wickman one the other one gabriel weinberg i really like that book it's quite simple in that in what you know in general it's it's a bunch of marketing channels and they, they say this is for startups i think it's like 24 different marketing channels but really it's like every business pretty much has this like massive list it's things like you know search, social media or like pr or unconventional pr or going to trade shows or running ads on google or seo or content or like paying sponsoring blogs where your audience already exists like so it's just a big list of stuff and then it gives you a little framework on how to choose which ones you'd like to run a test in and then kind of run those tests and and see how you go and and then choose which ones are working the best for you so some of them are quick tests you know like sponsoring a blog like you can pay for a banner on another blog or something or you pay for some google ads and you can see whether that's going to work or not fairly quickly seo is obviously difficult and hard but 
we basically found everything we did didn't work <laughs> except for or like didn't work because we were a fairly low price product, right? So that writes off things like LinkedIn ads and stuff like that pretty quick where you just can't convert enough people to get ROI. But, you know, it's different with higher price products. But yeah, like that's really the process. It was just trying. The first one is like a sanity check being like, am I going to go and do an unconventional PR campaign where I'm like putting some silly billboard up that gets like social media attention? It's like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, and then there's other... I don't know, like, yeah, it's really just like, is, is, is it stuff you want to do or is it stuff that you think you could, you know, how is your expertise on that? Could you bring in some expertise for us? So these are, you just kind of think about all these things for each channel. I'd, I'd go recommend, it's called the bullseye formula or something, I think is what he calls it in the book. Yeah, there was a bit of gut feel in that process as well as just like raw numbers, but I found that a really helpful thing to work through. Gee, I have to say some of the answers that you give are particularly honest. I mean, most people would say they have a very polished, refined framework and a lot of your approaches are just uh, <laughs> include a lot of gut feel to Like when I hear, I don't know, it's like social media and you see someone like, you know, oh, when I wake up in the morning, I, eat, I drink a fresh coconut and they're like perfectly made up sitting in bed. It's like, come on, man. Like you're, This is the stuff that's contributing to everyone else feeling bad about themselves. And I feel like it's the same in business. Where you know everyone's scrappy. No one knows. Like it's nothing's perfect. Yeah. You have to be scrappy. Definitely seems true, and it seems like judgment is a big unspoken factor. You know, there's a lot of talk about hustle and so on, but sometimes mm. it's just good judgment or poor judgment. I would assume, and a lot of luck. Yeah, you know, that's. I think that doesn't get enough attention. I mean, I, I hear it getting more attention now, but. I think I heard Scott Galloway on a podcast say that, like, you know, anyone who doesn't acknowledge luck in their journey is just full of it. <laughs> on everyone, you know, like Microsoft, you couldn't have been Microsoft if they didn't launch like right when computers were becoming a thing. Like even Belkin, like the cable company, heard a story about them. They started out building like when printers first came out, they, it was just awful to connect a printer to a computer. So they started like hacking up these crappy cables, like in a kitchen to connect, to make it easier to connect printers to, you know, and could you start a, a Belkin now? Probably not. <laughs> you know? So there's a lot of luck just in the timing there. Yeah, for sure. That does sound like something Scott Calloway would say as well. <laughs> <laughs> Over time, did you come across a big unexpected problem? And if so, how did you solve it? I would say it was that kind of where I mentioned before, pushing poo uphill <laughs> for a year. <laughs> like it, Cause it didn't, it wasn't like, Oh, he ran into this roadblock and now like we have to work out how to get around this. It was like this slow drawn out, like something's wrong. <laughs> it wasn't just like running into a wall. So I've kind of talked about that. I'd say that's the biggest problem we had is, is not like kind of having product market fit, but not knowing and then trying to work work our way around that and end up being like finding a, you know, different industry. Although we still get plenty of traction in that industry. It's just been hard to grow because it felt like we were, we'd peaked out there almost, you know, like we weren't going to our churn kind of equaled our growth in that space. So, so that's what it was for us is just, yeah, trying to find better product market fit. And it unfortunately was a long period, like long process to do that. <laughs> Do you have any mental hooks in place for sort of discovering when you're in that zone again in the future, not necessarily product market fit, but when you feel something's off, is there anything you have in mind that you'll do in that situation? 
Yeah, I don't know what I'll do. Although, like, I've kind of got an idea for potential another industry already because, like, now what I've got my f- I got I'm using ProfitWell with which is a SaaS metrics thing. If people listening don't know, but we use a custom field that we push in of like all the different industries that people sign up, and so now we can see like what industries are what percentage of revenue, which is a really cool metric because and you can do this across any custom field you have in your business right it could be like number of staff or whatever you can literally push anything in there and say anyone in this segment what's their percentage of our revenue which is quite cool because now we can see like oh this industry looks like it's higher than i expected like where are they coming from what what are they using our product for like what content can we create around them so that's probably what i would start doing is is expanding what do you call that horizontally (laughs) <laughs> or like, yeah, you're going going to different verticals. You know, that's probably what we'll look at doing. It looks like we're a fair way from that, though, because accounting seems to. But there's just so like in in the agency space, it felt like we'd done everything. You know, we're writing the content. Like I knew so many of the well connected people in that space have gone to the conferences, and it just like it felt like there was not much more I could do with our ability. You know, like we were doing the content, we were doing the things. I feel like there's so much more of that to like, I've still got so much room for that in accounting. So there's a lot more people I got to meet. There's a lot more content we can write before we're at that point where it's like, well, there's nothing else we can do here. Let's try a new industry. Are you trying to balance the product to appeal to both segments or are you just going all into accountants? Interestingly, a lot of the features, the most requested features we have are universal across industries. You know, like people want white label or branding or something you know some people want to be able to like so our our products like a form you can send to clients to collect information from them kind of it's like a form that's auto saving and automatically chases clients that's not like a traditional form but you know people want to be able to invite multiple people to fill out one form together and collaborate on that form you know so but that you know god there's mortgage brokers that want that there's accountants that want that there's web designers that want that so you know it is, yeah, there are some specific features. Most of them are integrations, interestingly enough. You know, like accountants want zero practice manager integrations. They want FYI docs, like these accounting-specific tools. Web design, there might be a little bit of that. But, you know, like, you know, for example, CRM. Some people want to sync with CRMs, but HubSpot's used by all these industries, right? So we're pretty lucky in that we haven't had to go too focused into one like we haven't had to just drop that initial that for our first industry. They're still they can still feel loved. We're still building things that are good for them. As you've grown, how do you feel that your approach to hiring has changed? Has your philosophy been kept intact, or has it become uh, mm-hmm. damaged over time? Hiring is the hardest part of running a business, as far as I'm concerned. Hiring and firing, fire <laughs> someone, and it's like very hard to do. It's like trying to break up with someone, right? It's just, no one likes doing that. And hiring is just so time intensive. So, yeah, look, I think I've come up with a decent system now. Like I, I treat writing job posts like writing a landing page, you know, like you're trying to sell the company. You know, I read so many job posts that are just dry as hell and I try to be a little bit different in there and, and throw in things that give them an opportunity to talk about themselves. You know, like the, one of the best hires we made it did, had zero qualifications for what we're hiring for, but it was like there was a line in there that was like, you know, if you don't meet these, don't worry. Just tell us why you still think you'll be a good fit. And she went to town. She wrote like essays about why she was going to be a good fit. And she's just been an absolute rock star in our team, you know. And that's kind of been the thing I look out for now is I don't 
have any canned answer, like standard questions, you know, like, oh, what's how many years experience do you have in this? You can do that still, but it's all been freeform answers and using, you can tell really quickly just scanning through freeform, whether they've just copied and pasted some crap or like that they put in every application or they've really thought about what you the, the job is. And honestly, that normally whittles like 120 applicants, which is what we'd usually get down to like, I don't know, say 20. And then you can run a short list on that. And so like that's been my process and it's that's been working. And I kind of refine it a little bit more each time. And that's been working really well. Like and and choosing people who've put effort into their answers as well as like meeting your criteria. That's been yeah, pretty amazing. Just to tie that off, are you also utilizing a lot of multi-stage interviews with other people on your team and giving them test projects or anything like this? So Test projects are great. I've it depends on what kind of role. So for content, for example, yeah, that's the next thing I do is a paid writing test. So I, I'll give them all the exact same writing, like you know, and it might be like this is you have to do it like this. You have to start a you have to have a document that's like it's a Google Doc and it has to be shared with anyone. And you'll submit the link through this form, and it's got like a set of instructions. And it's like if they screw up those instructions, well then they don't have attention to detail. So you know if they forget to share it properly or something like that you know you could, there's just little things you can notice and then then we read the post and we, we get a really good idea of how good someone's writing is through that like we we ask for writing samples up front but you never know right so so getting them to do an actual test task i did the same with a wordpress freelancer late recently and like he really demonstrated how good he was at certain things really quickly. Like cut we threw like a fairly complex customs, you know, threw up basically duplicated our website to a staging site and got him to do this like fairly complicated task. It wasn't just like, you know, if you knew how to use WordPress by like installing a page builder, you wouldn't be able to do this task, you know? So I really tested him and he nailed it. So I find test tasks amazing because I don't like interviews at all. Most of the time when I do an interview, it's just to make sure they're not a creep. Like I almost <laughs> always know who we're hiring based on email exchanges and test tasks before I've even spoken to them. Hmm. I don't like a lot of people, you know, I'm, I'm no like hiring guru. So there's probably people listening going, that's really bad. And, you know, like, I know a lot of people that hire a lot of people that use like tons of interviews and they do all this sort of stuff. But man, I just know like, my wife's going through stuff like interviewing recently and just like, she'll come home and she's like, yep, screwed that interview up just cause, and I, like, I know she's good at that thing. She just didn't interview. Well, I just don't think interviews personally, I just don't like interviews as a way to, I think it's more just to tell someone's not a crave <laughs> basically. Yeah. It makes sense. It gives you an opportunity to reduce bias as well. I suppose if you rely less on the interviews and you just use it as a bit of a creep test yeah <laughs> to use your wording yeah it's, it's just like i don't know some people really struggle under pressure so if it's a role that requires people to get on calls and be you know yeah you want you wanted them to be able to do well in that scenario but if they're like a developer or a content writer do they need to be good on a zoom call and answer questions about last time they solved a difficult situation like <laughs> Second last question, just before we go, what is the next milestone that you're aiming for? Like to, it's pretty much like a 2,000 paying users, basically. That, that's our our goal. Just a little over halfway there at the moment. That kind of gets us to a revenue goal where we're like super comfortable and I've got like a good little team. It, it has enough room in it for us to 
have a decent structure and someone handling most bits and pieces and us to work on the higher level stuff because both founders are still pretty deep in the business right now. Do you feel any pressure to grow fast enough to fend off competition? Well, that's a good question. I would have said no, but I feel like this is a category that's starting to get like get people pop up quite a bit or there's all these tools that are kind of half tackling what we do or like, yeah, it's interesting. Like I feel like I hear about a new one every two or three weeks at this point. Like some of them have been around a long time and just hadn't, hadn't heard about them. But in a way, like I'm a bit worried, but at the same time, I feel like we seem to do things better than most others. Like every time I use another product, like – I just know that I haven't spent as much time on considering how easy it is to use for the, for the end client, like so our customer's client. And I think that's one of the most important things and no one seems to get that. So <laughs> I'm like, in that way, I'm not worried. But in the fact that I keep finding about new competitors, yeah, it's a little bit of a worry. It's interesting that I'm noticing when I review a lot of tools, I'll have a couple of use cases in mind. And sometimes you can see right away how much one tool has really thought out their product in comparison to the other. Like one, mm. it's so easy to do all of them or most of them. And some it's like, why did you do it like that? doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think it becomes a, a feature like checkbox thing. It's like, oh, some, someone wants this feature to like bulk send requests. So we, we, we call a, our form like a request. We don't have that yet. But I, like I went and saw what a couple of other products were doing for bulk sending requests. And me and my business partner were Zooming together and Mark <laughs> was Zooming and it was just like, we can't, what hell is going on on this page? Like when we're like tech people and we like couldn't work out how to do it and, and like things are taking forever to load and we're just like, okay, so let's, this, this is what we won't do <laughs> and we'll try, you know, but it takes us a lot longer to build the feature then because, you know, if you just want to whack something up to tick a box and say, yeah, we've got that feature, you can do it. But I guarantee your product will turn into a dog's breakfast. Like I can think of one project management tool that did that and started just trying to build in everything that people wanted and weren't testing things enough. And and obviously enough, like a couple of years later, everyone's leaving them. Don't like them anymore because it's become a dog's breakfast. Yeah, I can think of quite a t- few tools that are actually like that, particularly in the marketing space. What would be your advice to product founders who are before you in the process? So say they've got a couple of hundred users and they're trying to reach for that, you know, thousand plus mark. It depends so much on like what their situation is. But if someone was in my situation, you know, where you're constantly getting good feedback from people and you just can't work out why you're not growing, that was us, right? Like, because it wasn't like we had this product where everyone hated it or like no one was being really nice about it and like we didn't have any customers. It was like, no, people were paying for it. People liked it. They said they got good results. We just weren't growing. I'd say there's probably a slight, like something still wrong in product market fit because it, it felt like to us we had product market fit, but I don't think we did. And when we went into accounting, it felt like it just changed, you know, and it, it felt like I, don't, like, I don't know what, it didn't feel good for a long time. And then it just honestly felt like, you know, only recently it's like, man, like I'm excited about business again. So that's probably be my advice is like, you can get through that and, and it'll be amazing when you do. <laughs> Yeah, I can actually imagine that because you can see that a lot of products seem to stall out at some point and they're not growing aggressively. But when you look through their overall communications material, you don't see that they're highlighting any particular user category. Mm. Um, And that might be something similar to what you were experiencing. Yeah, and I know it feels rubbish, man. Like honestly, for probably two years, my happiness could have been graphed directly against our revenue growth and it would have been 
one-to-one, you know? It's like, oh, we, like, lost customers this week. I'm sad, you know? <laughs> oh, we grew. Thank God. I'm relieved, you know? <laughs> but, like, now I see down days and I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. We'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good to hear. Where should people go to learn more about you and Content Snare? Sure. Well, contentsnare.com is the best place if you want to check out what our product does. And jimmyrose.me is my personal site. I haven't updated that in a while, but there's a lot of stuff there on how to like automate things with Zapier. And and yeah, so if you want to get more productive and automate stuff, that's where you check me out. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Ben. Mm-hmm.